Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Manny Eager of digitalfutures.co. Manny, how are you doing? Very well, thanks yourself. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Uh, would you give listeners uh, you know, a brief synopsis of what Digital Futures does? Uh, Digital Futures is uh, consulting, and we've uh, done some software development in the past as well, which we are currently in, in, in stealth mode, uh, producing something in the blockchain space. Um, uh, Digital Futures really looks at the whole intersection between technology, uh, applications, and the user uh, interface, especially at the large enterprise, even government level, but also at the personal level where people can use these tools, obviously, for productivity, for communications, uh, to improve business processes, uh, whatever the case might be. And, and, And of course, depending on context and the type of technology, um, that is being deployed. And we'll talk further, but there's a great convergence taking place between a range of technologies which we'll explore in this discussion. Uh, very, very exciting new paradigms uh, starting to emerge. And uh, that's really Digital Futures' uh, key focus area. Okay, it sounds like you have a perspective uh, that most people don't have. So tell me about this convergence. What do you see converging? You know, And uh, you know, let's put it in layman's terms and then we'll dig a little bit deeper but but what do you see over the next year two years three years is it what's the great convergence what is it well the the amazing uh, i think aspects of this and I'm, I'll, I'll give a quick example is uh, I, my background is i worked for uh, many years in the financial sector specifically banks barclays and and other banks uh, out of africa um, and also big telco firms like vodafone you might have heard of a, a project in Kenya called Impesa, where you can literally trade your airtime or minutes on your phone for cash and, and exchange it back again. So you literally have a little bank in your pocket. So mm-hmm. these kind of, of applications were simply unimaginable before. Um, and with new blockchain, Bitcoin, and, and, and a raft of new technologies emerging, um, it's uh, no mistake that the first area of focus has been financial. And how do we get people to get closer to their money, to engage more intimately with uh, uh, financial services? And we see a raft of applications in that space. And that's directly affected by the way um, the Internet, mobile technology, and financial services have increasingly become digital, more accessible, and of course, there's pros and cons and risks that go with that as well. But just a quick example of, of how it's impacting people directly today from which they can benefit um, and take advantage. Right. So can you, uh, well, let's, let's ask one quick question. So how, can, how soon do you expect consumers will see, um, you know, being able to have a bank in their pocket because of blockchain or other technologies or, you know, other amazing financial instruments uh, or methods for moving money? When's it going to happen? Is it literally happening right now, or is it going to be a year or two? Or what's your prediction? 
Uh, again, and that's that's the irony of of technology. Old habits die hard. Um, in Canada, for instance, one of the interesting statistics that we have here is that um, the Canadian credit card user has the most credit cards uh, per capita, per literally per user than anywhere else in the world. So people love um, plastic, as we call it. Um, so for people to shift from something they know and they feel where their money is safe, and obviously they're covered if there's a loss and so forth, to move to something that they still perceive as too risky or new or they not don't quite understand how they can, can take advantage of it in, in this context. Uh, specifically, um, it always will take a little while. It will take some convincing, and uh, people have a challenge, and especially on the blockchain and, and and digital currency applications, to convince people that this makes sense, it saves them money, but it doesn't come with increased risk or increased exposure. The whole contradiction to all of this is in Kenya, again, to use the M-Pesa uh, study, is there were no banks at all. If you go into the rural areas, there are literally no physical bricks and mortar banking facilities. So for people to walk for miles to go and get money to buy food or whatever just didn't make sense, or that was the was the business model and opportunity. And, and they literally leapfrogged through mobile technology into literally a bank in your pocket. So depending on which environment you, you're addressing, what are the vested interests in the status quo? And obviously, we have major banks already up and running, providing great services, but at a cost um, that people are comfortable and familiar with. You have to convince your average user and your regulator and, and the established players that there's a new thing here that could work better, that could make things simpler and save money and make money. And I think that's the paradigm that will emerge at different rates or, or, or speeds, if you wish, um, in different environments. But I, but I think we can all agree that globally, thanks to the Internet, for instance, where people simply didn't think that uh, 10, 20 years from now that you could simply log on to a small device in your pocket and talk to somebody literally on the other side of the planet or send them money or, or exchange uh, value in some form or shape. Uh, it just simply it didn't occur to them because it wasn't physically possible. The new technologies and specifically blockchain opens up this whole new world of, of both opportunity and certainly challenges. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you said you're head down on a project right now, but what projects can you talk about that you just loved that were you know, your favorites that very recently happened or finished or culminated or reached a new stage? Well, I've been quite involved in the whole startup and, and mentoring new businesses in the space. And, and they're literally springing up at, at, an, at an amazing rate. It's be, become really cheap and fast and easy thanks to these technologies and access to finance through ICOs and new crowdfunding models uh, to get up and running quickly if your environment and the regulator allows you to to play. And uh, what I've seen are people going at the whole, again, financial services sector. So a lot of people looking at the whole remittance challenge. If uh, diaspora communities want to send money back home, wherever that is, in North America, it would typically be like uh, Mexico or the Philippines comes up a lot or India or some other destination. Um, it's been a challenge to literally move value, to to exchange 
your hard-earned cash and, and locate it somewhere else for your family or to, to support somebody or literally just to do business. So we see a lot of um, attempts at that, and I've been advising some uh, startups in that space that are growing up through through the ranks, obviously working with the incumbent players or competing with them. So that, that's been very, very interesting. And then I've been talking about a business model publicly for for uh, the past year or two around digital asset value exchange, where we can start imagining goods, services, products, or just simply the exchange of, of a digital currency or asset starting to take place through blockchain-like applications. And if you start adding smart contracts and all kinds of, of new algorithms that's, that's uh, springing up as we speak, um, there's tremendous opportunity to start literally impacting the bottom line, the GDP of a country through these new digital economy tools by being able to sit in your own backyard anywhere on the planet and offer a service. And it could be web design. It could be uh, legal advice to somebody else in another jurisdiction, literally on the other side of the globe. It, the, the opportunities truly become endless. So to capture that and start uh, packaging that into offerings that people can use and they can go and apply, um, I think is going to create tremendous benefits. Your large exchanges, your banks, um, we did a study for the British Columbia government and stakeholders here last year. It was the first study in Canada that looked at both fintech and blockchain and the potential impact for job creation, skills development, um, obviously revenue growth. And uh, and the opportunities were significant. But to realize it will take time. It's an ecosystem play. You need a number of factors to come together to enable all of this, to make that happen. But that's certainly the first steps that uh, that I see we, uh, I think we're all embarking on. If you want to get technical around this, the World uh, Economic Forum put out a very good study around how they see this trajectory emerge and I think they gave a scenario of 2020 and then 2025 in terms of the stages of deployment of these uh, these technologies. And we now see smart cities on the blockchain, uh, driverless uh, vehicles, uh, fetching and carrying people and collecting payments and, and, and doing all kinds of interesting stuff in, in that domain. Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, robo-advisors. Uh, for financial services or health or whatever the case might be, are just the kind of things that uh, we're engaged in with some of our clients and uh, and and exploring the opportunities. What do you think are going to be um, impediments or roadblocks or you know things that will slow down adoption of blockchain and you know other fintech technologies? Uh, I sat in an interesting workshop uh, in Toronto a few weeks ago, and some bankers were present and. And, and and this very same question came up is is there's on the one side these fantastic new ways to literally do business to move money to use a, a good old banking term um, and one of the gentlemen there made the statement the senior uh, banking uh, executives that the challenge now is that we could literally move money to anywhere in the world in seconds. The problem is you still have to comply. You still have to do KYC. You still have to do your anti-money laundering. You still need to do a risk assessment. You still need to make sure that the individuals in either jurisdiction, wherever this exchange is taking place, 
our compliance and, and literally working within the framework of the law uh, in either and both jurisdictions and uh, that there's not some funny business going on. Or if there's been a mistake and there's a dispute, how do we remedy that? So our current business processes, our current regulatory regimes, the way in which we used to engage with each other still harks back to decades ago of, of, of when these systems were originally set up and fit for purpose at that time. These ways of doing business are being challenged, business processes are being challenged, and we see change with a capital C. Uh, Everywhere, written large. Uh, I often get the question in big audiences, are our jobs safe? Do we have the right skills to engage with us? And the answer is yes and no. And uh, the same question could have been asked when Internet emerged. You know, does the post office suddenly uh, see itself out of a job? And in some cases, post offices, national post offices had to change altogether or got shut down or look completely different today or have changed their business model. I see that happening pretty much on every front where this convergence of technologies, not just blockchain. Blockchain is a great accelerator. We can talk about more of that uh, shortly. But what blockchain is doing is taking a lot of these traditional convergence, uh, um, tracking along as they would normally do in, in, in terms of time and space, and we suddenly, to use a Ray Kurzweil term, we're starting to see some exponential curves where things can suddenly accelerate and quite fast. Um, mm. The lesson there is that it's probably better to be forewarned and prepared than wait for this to happen to you. And I, I'm, I'm always amazed when I meet with the banking community and the financial services sector, how aware they actually are and engaged with these technologies and, and running a lot of experiments, as I would call it, proof of concepts and building use cases around how they can either create efficiencies or completely address new omnichannel markets in new ways. Uh, if, if, if anyone has sat in a recent financial services conference, you'll hear talk about the millennials and the more established customer base and two worlds that are either colliding or evolving together or in synergy um, that is forcing people to rethink the way they engage with a the customer. They don't want to go to a bank branch, for instance, anymore. They want, again, their bank in a pocket and on their pocket or on the on, on the internet. And and it really forces us to think how we apply these new tools, how people engage with these tools. And for those who cannot, how do we provide access to these new tools? Uh, I get a lot of calls from emerging economies, Africa, Asia, elsewhere, where people are saying, you've worked in all these environments. What are the implications? How do we take advantage of this? Or where do we even start the process at a national level, at a sectoral level, uh, providing better utilities and services to our population uh, or people in need or poorest of the poor, whatever the case might be. So this story continues and will for, for the foreseeable future. Very interesting. Okay. Um, do you, I hear in the media, you know, negative talk of Bitcoin, oh, it's used by terrorists. And it, you know, I hear you saying that it's positive, things are moving, even banks are quietly, you know, perhaps secretly looking at this and, you know, they know what's going on. Governments certainly know what's going on. Do you think that any of this technology will be co-opted 
by governments and then used for bad ends to stop the expansion of this technology to the regular public. Um, do you see any forces that are pushing back against this that actually will be able to slow or even halt aspects of it? I, I think almost certainly there's going to be, for every action, there's going to be a reaction. And and the classic reaction usually is if we don't know what this is about, let's stop it. Let's nip it in the bud. And unfortunately, we've seen that initially. Um, I think in the early days of Bitcoin, and I was fortunate to be involved, didn't quite understand it, but involved fairly early on in 2013 already. Um, if you recall, China, Russia, everybody said this this thing looks like it's, it's, it's uh, going to threaten us. We don't want it. Um, when I met with a Canadian regulator at the time, uh, the position was, this is our system is solid. We don't feel threatened until this is a systemic risk. Um, let's keep experimenting. Let's see uh, where this technology goes, which I think was a very wise and smart approach or attitude to have. It was around the time when we did the Senate uh, presentations around digital currency and the and the Bitcoin. We we still didn't use the we no one used the blockchain word. Uh, at that stage. so And I think we still to this day have these two streams. Um, I often have audiences where the people think Bitcoin is illegal uh, in, in, in North America, for instance, or elsewhere, which is not the case. Uh, but it can be used for illegal purposes. But in the same way, and, and I'm sure everyone has heard this argument, so could cash, so could the internet. Uh, we don't have to go too far and use the Silk Road, Mount Gox, money laundering and other uh, uh, case studies to, to be aware of the fact that all of these technologies usually are adopted first by the criminals, ironically, uh, before it reaches the general public. That doesn't mean to right. say that we need to stop the process altogether. It needs to remain managed. Um, I think what one needs to be careful about, and, and, and I'm not trying to imply anything here, but... You need to be careful for what you ask. Uh, in New York, the community there approached the regulator and they ended up with the bit license, which uh, some people cried foul and felt that was an overkill, um, while others welcomed it and felt it gave at least some regulatory oversight and, and a framework within which to work. While Canada, for instance, and I can speak for Canada because I spend most of my time here, um, it's it's been a bit more... Not laissez-faire, but more easygoing in the sense that this is there's no big harm being done here. But we're not going to allow a Mount Gox or a Silk Road or anything anything like that to happen here on our turf. We're going to watch and and learn and see how this evolves, and make sure that when the time is right and we need regulation and we need guidance, uh, we're going to consult and we're going to move forward together. And I must say, it, it, it's been. Great to work with with the local community, the government, and 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 the regulator in this regard. Other communities, for instance, Switzerland, Isle of Man, and and others that I've engaged with, even uh, the UK and London, um, they felt that if this opportunity can be used by government and for good, they want to take a more proactive stance. And you're probably aware that in Zurich, in Switzerland, they were one of the first jurisdictions to step up and frame regulation to support things like Ethereum, which was launched from their 
and was I was one of the early uh, peripheral advisors to the process because I had another client in Zug already who helped them engage with the regulator there, and they actually framed an outcome which today is a. If I look at the capital markets cap today of Ethereum is now worth over 16 billion. And it could have been done. It was originally invented in Toronto, Canada. It could have been done out of Canada if the system and the regulator was ready to engage at the time. So it's going to be interesting to track this and see um, where the community and the regulating authorities engage in a positive way and support. Um, the solutions that's going to emerge from this. Okay, very good. Uh, last questions I have <clears throat> is about the consulting and the mentorship that you guys do. So yes. what kind of projects uh, is your company looking for? What kind of situations? Can you spell out a couple of cases and you know, maybe one or two that you're not looking for? So listeners that you know are thinking of starting a company or own companies uh, and want this help from you, uh, you know, have guidance. Well, I'll, I'll go about it very quickly in a roundabout way. I'm also chairman of the Blockchain Association of Canada, and there's six key areas in which we engage. And, and then I'll quickly be selective about where we from Digital Futures uh, provide support in these areas. But, but obviously, the first, the most important one is for people to understand and get to know this technology. So education and training is quite important. So there's a lot of workshops that I'm personally involved in, and we literally take people through where is this technology coming from, what is the good and the bad, the pros and the cons, uh, are, are we ready for for to engage, is the technology ready to engage with us, and it's very interesting with big players like Microsoft and IBM, of which we are partners, are stepping into the space in a big way, providing some stability, some governance some custodianship, which I think is very important for government and enterprise to know and have that support and backing when they engage. So we cover those aspects. Obviously, the community outreach, and by community, we mean the broader public, but also and, 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 and your consumer. But on the other side, the community could also be sectoral in, interests. Um, we work a lot in the fintech space, which is my background. Telco space is starting to step up. The IT community is engaging across the board. I get calls nearly every day of what, what I, I want a career in blockchain. Where do I start? So we, we <laughs> advise people around that. Not everyone can or is good at coding. So there's other stuff that we can all do. Course governance, which is the next interesting thing. Legal, uh, auditing, accounting, compliance, is risk management is going to be huge in the space. If smart mm. contracts start, start to self-execute on the blockchain, uh, these codes are only as good as whoever coded them, and, and we don't have to get into the DAO collapse. Um, bad right. code is bad right. code. So, so, so the oversight, the, 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 how these things fit together is very, very important, and of course, regulation. Um, and then startups and incubators, investments uh, in the space is creating a whole new ecosystem. Very, very exciting. We don't have time to get into that, but I recommend people go and look at... Uh, what's happening in the initial coin offering space, or a new term is uh, token-generated enterprise, um, to just get away from the so-called pump-and-dump schemes that unfortunately some people are engaged in. And and we also help people navigate through what what is good business practice and what is less so. 
Um, and of course, we get involved in R&D. We've done some work for um, some Canadian entities at the government and enterprise level and new sectors that are starting to emerge, um, like insurance, for instance, health, uh, even auto finance industry we've been engaging with recently, starting to step into the space and starting to look at applications. And from a digital features perspective, we get in on the ground, sit with the client, we do readiness assessment, we look at their skills pool, do we bring in outside resources, and we usually twin people so that they also develop these skills and know-how internally, and then we put it on rails and, and we start testing. And there's already good, solid business models starting to emerge, which allows us to start looking at business impacts, to look at the return on investment, and of course, use cases uh, in terms of where can we take this and really go out there and make a, an impact on a certain target market or achieve some innovation or, or return on investment internally inside the business. Unfortunately, it might sometimes involve realignment, change management, and, and, and those processes which we assist with as well. And that and that's what we've done historically, um, working with other technologies as well. This is just so fast and 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 virtually aggressive the way this technology is evolving. It's hard for anyone to keep up, and that's where we come and be a bit of a guiding light in terms of where we're all coming from with this and, and what potentially could we achieve uh, applying these technologies in a variety of ways. Oh, very good, Manny. Thanks so much. I'm glad that you have this uh, this much bigger world perspective than uh, you know than other people. It's, it's great to hear it. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a great, great pleasure. I hope uh, uh, all of this makes sense, but uh, very exciting times indeed. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.